Hello and welcome to Overdrive, where we climb the hills, tackle the bends and endure the potholes of issues to do with motoring and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we look at news stories from around the world, including Mercedes to build a new ute. We discuss the outcome of Melbourne's brave new attempt to start something different to the traditional motor show. We road test the Renault Megane station wagon and in our panel discussion with Brian Smith we take a light-hearted look at stories including the road-going version of the crazy Delta Wing racing car. Have a question or a comment? Send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au Now let's get the program going. First the news. Hot on the heels of Bentley announcing they're going to make an SUV, now there is news that Mercedes will be making a utility. The new ute, or pickup in America, will be on the market within the next five years, but it is not likely to be the sort of vehicle that you will load up at a building site. Its focus will be on luxury befitting the Mercedes brand. Surprisingly, the vehicle is not initially aimed at the North American market. The first areas for this vehicle are Latin America, South Africa, Australia and Europe, although the Mercedes-Benz pickup will eventually be launched on the global market. Recent research into the crashes that young people are having suggests that in half the rear-end accidents, young drivers were not looking ahead at the time the crash occurred. Automatic braking systems would help in these situations to eliminate the crash or reduce its severity but these systems are usually only available on upmarket vehicles, which are not always available to young drivers. Now Toyota and Lexus have announced plans to have automated braking systems as a low-cost option across their fleets. Details including costs have not been released, but a rollout time of the end of 2017 has been announced. Ford is now following Tesla, the American electric car manufacturer, by offering its first implementation of traffic sign scanning technology in a vehicle. The new Ford S-Max will be able to scan the road environment and recognise and read speed signs. Dubbed the Intelligent Speed Limiter, the system will be able to keep you within the law even if you cannot remember the current speed limit. But Ford does allow some flexibility to the system. The driver can set the speed at up to 8km an hour, or 5 miles an hour, faster than what's signposted, or you can just press your right foot down and manually control the accelerator. London continues to plan for restrictions to vehicles in its inner area to reduce the number of cars and to reduce pollution. Now they plan to create the centre as an ultra-low emission zone. All cars, motorcycles, vans, minibuses and heavy goods vehicles that enter or drive in the congestion charging zone will need to meet ultra-low exhaust emission standards or pay an additional daily charge to travel within the zone. The current charge is $22 a day. People will have time to adjust to the proposal as it will not be introduced until 2020. South Korea's capital Seoul plans to create dedicated fire truck lanes to ensure traffic congestion and other obstacles don't interfere with the emergency service. The city council hopes to start work in May to improve access in more than 700 areas of Seoul and the greater city area. 
Inspections will be carried out to pinpoint the best routes to delineate, from back alleyways, where illegal parking is rife, to main roads, where one lane could be set aside for emergencies. Plans to introduce bigger trucks are usually met with fierce public opposition. Now some research in the UK suggests that a trial of longer trucks has seen low accident rates and a reduction of the number of vehicles on the road. The trailers on articulated vehicles were permitted to be up to 2.05 metres longer than the standard 13.6 metre units commonly seen on UK roads. So far, incident and casualty rates are only 20-30% to 30% of those for articulated heavy vehicles greater than 7.5 tonnes. Using bigger trucks has also reduced the total kilometres travelled by large trucks by 1.2 to 1.4 million vehicle kilometres, which is double that previously reported. Transcontinental roads have a certain romanticism. Think of Route 66 in America. Now Russia has plans for a 20,000 kilometre superhighway and railroad linking the Atlantic and the Pacific called the Trans-Eurasian Belt Development. While roads do currently run across most of Russia, the quality tends to deteriorate the further you travel from Moscow. If fully realised, you could travel from France to the Bering Strait by freeway, or all the way from Britain to Alaska by train. And that has been the news. What is the future of motor shows in Australia? We have seen the traditional large static shows in Sydney and Melbourne cancelled through a mixture of high cost, declining audience and disinterest from quite a few motoring companies. Melbourne has just had a new motor show, the Australian Motoring Festival, a cross between a traditional motor show, the Royal Easter Show and perhaps even a Top Gear Festival. To tell us all about it, and how it went, I have on the line Jeff Gwillem, the uh, chief, the, the executive director of the VACC, who's one of the supporting organisations for the event. Jeff, thanks very much for your time. Thank you, David. What are the elements in this new style of show? Look, I think, David, the elements are it's more tactile, it's hands-on. Um, the shows of old, you know, you'd walk around a pavilion, you'd look at cars, cars are turning on turntables. What we're looking at now is more interactive. Get in a car, have a drive around a circuit, uh, see a motorbike trick rider, um, have an experience inside the Ferrari facility. Uh, it, it's it, it, it's fun. I mean, this is about having fun with your family, uh, mum, dad, the kids, your partner. Bring them along. Uh, it's it's just moving away from a you know that that old sort of style of motor show where the it was more of a static experience. Yeah, static, I think, was the word that described it. So, although Sydney one time, Ford did a, a thing where they had much more show and tell. I much preferred that. But again, yes. it didn't get out in the open like that. Let's touch on a few things that you had. The Mercedes-Benz Driving Academy, what was that? Yeah. Well, what it meant was is people could uh, book a, a drive inside a Mercedes-Benz. Um, they could sit in with a co-pilot and drive that car around the circuit, have a look at the braking, vehicle handling. Um, you know, normally, you know, a lot of people won't go to a dealership and, and try a car. They're either time poor or they're not ready to buy a new car at the time. But this was more, it's, it's a, a fun experience type of uh, scenario. 
and it just gives people that image of saying, I once drove a Mercedes. Even if they don't buy one, they talk to their friends about it. Well, I think a lot of selfies were taken on the day, David. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Isuzu Team D-Max Iron Summit, what was that? Uh, well, this was a fantastic uh, piece of equipment where um, uh, you get into a nice Suzu, uh, four-wheel drive, park this thing up onto this big seesaw-type ramp, and uh, the the thing, the, the vehicle would drive itself up this. I mean, it was just uh, thrilling to watch because the angle on the vehicle was tremendous. And it would get up to the top of this ramp, and, uh, you know, you're sort of biting your nails waiting for this thing to move, but it didn't, of course. And then, you know, the seesaw tips the other way, huge angle coming back down to the ground. Of course, the vehicle rolls off beautifully. But one, it demonstrated modern vehicle technology, braking systems and all that sort of stuff. But two, it was just a nail-biting thing to watch. Uh, Completely safe, of course, and uh, great fun. You know, again, get in with mum and the kids and have a go, and uh, a lot of people enjoyed it. It was right near the entrance as you came in, and it was uh, attracted a lot of people. I think I see there were very... Happy with the amount of people around the stand. I've done a similar sort of thing with Range Rovers. Is that the one where if you're really good, you can balance halfway? It is. Mm. It is indeed, yep. If you're really good, you can balance. But uh, I I think most people were just astounded at the angle that could be achieved with the vehicle still static on the ramp as it tipped up either way. Mm. Yes, I think that's right. Volvo Polestar racing around the tarmac track. Uh, yep. I guess that's self-explanatory, but uh, how big was the track? Um, well, it's hard to describe uh, big, um, but it, it was tight corners. So we had a designer that came in and designed a, it's like a mini race track. We had a motorcycle, A1 motorcycles were there as well, um, running their vehicles around the track. Lots of tight curves, of course, which meant that it was a lot of fun, but certainly big enough to get a bit of speed up and then... Uh, get into the corners pretty tight, both on the motorcycles and in the cars. So Great you, stuff. Yeah, so you're clearly describing an, an interactive, dynamic sort of approach, but you also had a little bit of the old classic and vintage cars? Well, I have to tell you that uh, yeah, RACV, with their members out of the classic car clubs, they put on a magnificent display. Hmm. Uh, the range of vehicles went right from the beginning of the motor car right up to uh, relatively modern vehicles, but the uh, the the artwork and the shapes of some of those vehicles, the Alphas and some of that, it's just magnificent to watch. And I have to say that uh, Mum's dad's not wasn't just full of old blokes looking at cars and kicking tyres; it was the whole family, because the appeal of those shapes and colours and forms we just don't see as much as we used to. And, uh, and of course, you know, I have a great uh, debt to pay to the, the people that restored those vehicles and the, uh, the clubs that put uh, volunteers on to look after those cars over the four days. Magnificent. And to see them, it, because they were under the big tent dome, you got a lot of natural light going into that space and it really profiled them well. And Brian Tanty, of course, who's one of Australia's uh, most highly skilled uh, body makers, restoring a car you know, stretching and forming panels on site there. Huh? I mean, people can actually see you know, how some of these cars were formed 60, 70, 80 years ago through the panel forming process. And that was, I mean, I found that particularly exciting, but uh, you know, Tom Fain was in there having a go and a lot of people got a lot of fun out of that as well. It sounds like it was a great event. Jeff, thanks very much for your time.
Thank you, David, any time. And uh, that was Jeff Willem, the Executive Director for the VACC in Victoria, and he was talking about the Australian Motoring Festival, a new style of way of getting people to come out and look at old and new cars and what they meant to our motoring history. Overdrive. For more information and past programs, go to drivenmedia.com.au. We come again to the biggest segment of the Australian market, what is called the small segment, but is in fact better described to my mind as a small medium-sized car, Corolla vehicles and Mazda 3s, for example. And we are looking at a subset in the market, the wagon, most particularly the Renault Megane wagon. Let's get the rundown from Brent Davidson from the the motoring editor for the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury. Brent, uh, this small medium segment of the market, it's pretty... Pretty competitive, isn't it? Competitive, uh, slightly undersubscribed to my way of thinking. In, um, in what way? What do, what do you mean undersubscribed? I, I don't think there are enough. Like it, it's competitive. There are a lot, a lot of cars in that market sector, mm-hmm. but um, we need to have, or, or it needs to have, more people interested in it. At the moment, there's a sort of a leakage into small, medium SUVs away from that area. Yes. So, you know, the, the thing is, the small SUV buyers are overlooking some damn fine automobiles in that, in that small to medium car segment, and it's really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good segment. The size of the vehicle is really very practical. Some great cars in it in order of sell, sales so far. Well, the first two months of this year, Mazda 3, Corolla, Hyundai i30, Golf. Holden yep. Cruise, Ford Focus. These are the cars that used to be subservient to cars like Holden Commodores and Ford Falcons yeah. and Toyota Camrys, but now they're not because they've, they've grown up in size enough to be roomy enough to hold the family and the pet dog and, and the week's shopping and the cases for the, for the trip away. And on that trip away, they are powerful enough to manage open road work but not so powerful as to consume dozens and dozens of litres of fuel. So they're, they're a nice sort of car to be in. And taking that a step further, you talk about SUVs. Uh, the, here we're talking about the Megane wagon. Of course, a, the wagon gives you that capacity that you you might think you get out of an SUV uh, without necessarily compromising the dynamics and the comfort of the car. Look, I have to tell you, David, that, that the small small to medium wagon class is actually my favourite, and particularly when they put the name sport alongside it and put something sporty on it because it becomes in the great all-rounder. I really don't want to drive across the Simpson Desert, but I might want to drive from my home in Newcastle to Melbourne to visit my mother-in-law you know, and, and take some things. I don't want to take my bike. The wagon will consume my bike as well as the luggage for myself on arrive. You know, it, like I say, it's the great all-rounder. It doesn't eat lots of fuel when I just want to run it around town, but it will do, do the hard yards on the highway. And when you say the sport, I think that is both in terms of handling and performance and that without necessarily being rocket, uh, you know, uh, performance. But uh, the other thing about it is the looks. We're not talking here about a wagon like the old Camry station wagon or the old Ford station wagon, which... Hallelujah. 
yeah, with the old slab side and boring and and whatever. Yeah, you know, it's exactly. something that really looks good in the flesh. Exactly right. Now you you take that that Renault and and my desire to have something sporty, and you find that Renault has a GT two twenty station wagon mm. with a turbocharged two liter engine, hundred and sixty two kilowatts, three hundred and forty newton meters of torque. It does everything. Mm. <laughs> Come on, folks, look at this car. <laughs> now, now the GT two twenty Renault got some bad press a few years ago. Not stuff that I necessarily supported. This is a car that really, okay, it might uh, have slightly taut suspension, but it really comes with a great balance. Well, yeah, when you see a vehicle with GT in its name, you, you figure that there might be that slightly taut suspension and the seats might actually be sort of shaped to hold a proper backside rather than a broad, spready one that some of us seem to have, myself included. But, you know, you, there, are, there are things that that GT badge might indicate. Um, you, you can actually move down the line or across the bridge or whatever and buy one that doesn't actually have those bits on it, that does actually have have a you know a broader softer seat that has a, a softer uh, more comfortable highway ride that doesn't have a noisy exhaust system those sorts of things yeah now you mentioned that because the McGann not selling big numbers at all uh, but it's still got a huge number of variants I think 19 variants I think despite the low sales although that does include some of the three door flyers like their really super 265 275 trophy and so on Oh yeah, but but the the wagon itself, you start off with a a 1.2 liter dynamic, if I want to use the French expression, and work your way up to the G2 GT 220. But along the line, you also get um, three diesel engine variants. So you get a 1.2 and two liter petrol and a 1.5 liter diesel. Hmm. So you know you can have have something for every player. Every, everywhere between 81 kilowatts and 162 kilowatts. Hmm. 240 newton meters, sorry, 195 newton meters to 340 newton meters. Yeah, you, you can go playing, and, and you and you're shopping across a, a price variance of uh, twenty-seven thousand dollars through to forty-one thousand dollars. <laughs> lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time, David. It's always my pleasure. That's Brent Davidson talking about the Renault Megane station wagon, and he is, of course, the motoring editor from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury. Overdrive. Answering your questions across Australia. And it's time to have a little bit of a chat about some issues that are perhaps a little more unusual to do with motoring and transport, as we do each week. And again, we are joined by Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. This, Brian, if I may start with a story, has got to be one of the ugliest cars that you could ever possibly see. It is a racing car. It's called the Nissan Delta Wing. It has a very narrow nose at the front. It looks a bit like a spatula if you looked at it from on top. Uh, and it's got a nose a bit like a, a, a drag racer. It's a narrow little thing. They do it, of course, to get less weight in the car they, by not having a wide body at the front. And they also do it to try and improve the aerodynamics to it. Uh, but 
not only are they racing it, there's now a suggestion that they may make them, both as a sports car and a sedan. Brian, would you like to see a car or drive a car that looks like this? David, I don't have a problem with it. I, I think as long as it's uh, you know no wider than your standard vehicle, I think some clever stuff like this to save weight, to improve performance. I mean, they're talking about a 42% increase in efficiency um, uh, over a conventional car design. This is great stuff. And, and look, anyone who's, who's uh, test-driven a lot of cars like you have, David, you know that there's a lot of room in the market for ugly. that doesn't turn someone off. A badge talks, you know, and people listen. So as long as they put a, a badge on this that uh, talks of uh, innovation or maybe they'll have okay. a car ad that, that involves speed, that would be unusual, wouldn't it, David? But, uh, you know, if, if they market this thing the right way, then people will grab it. Wing on the back, calling it a GT. Yeah. It, it certainly has a possibility. We've got to do something about the name Don Panos. You know, see, that doesn't ring to me. Delta Wing, I like it. Delta Wing. Now, if we could get Tom Cruise available for some kind of uh, goose oh, yes. and Iceman action for, you know, promoting this thing as some kind of airplane on the ground, um, the sky's the limit for this one, David. Uh, they are talking about a GT, 350 horsepower, around $60,000, or the car, about 100 horsepower, 75 kilowatts, uh, that costs about $30,000. Now, Panos, isn't that the name behind a shopping channel that's on late at yeah, night? Yeah, no, that's Danos. Oh, that's Danos, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, but if you dial now, their operators are standing by, <laughs> uh, uh, you'll get one of them. If you order now, you get two. <laughs> And now, Brian, you have a story, this time from China. Indeed, uh, China, the, the land where uh, a lot of silly things get done to cars and from cars. And in this case, uh, Mr. Yu Lingyong, he and his father have uh, constructed a couple of uh, replicas of Transformers, those children's toys that convert from a car into a monster robot, the sort of uh, heroes of uh, cartoons and live-action television. Well, they've, they've built a couple of these things made out of scrap car parts. If you look at the pictures, you can certainly see a couple of car doors in there and some uh, guards and fenders. So um, I'm not sure why they've done it. There seem to be a lot of Chinese farmers in China with a lot of time on their hands. That's exactly uh, what I was... submarines, submarines yes. and all sorts of stuff. Exactly what I was going to say. What yeah. is it with these Chinese farmers? Yeah, they keep building these weird things in metal. As you say, a few months ago we did the Chinese farmer who built a submarine out of car parks, and there are other stories. Uh, you know the problem, I think, here, Brian? That Chinese farming is far too efficient. They have too much time on their hands. It's obviously lucrative. Oh, it is. So they're, they're, they're building these giant scrap metal robots, and we're talking something that looks like about 10 metres tall. You know, they, they're enormous. They've been doing them since 2007, but uh, it's taken all that time for them to get the attention of, uh, of TV and movies. I guess maybe the authorities have been secretly monitoring them for some time. Um, <laughs> apparently, they've made replicas of something called Bumblebee and Optimus Prime. Again, if Errol was here, he would be able to tell us what that means. Yeah. Um, but they've sold them for about $200,000. So uh, not a huge... Uh, I, I, suggest looking at them there may well be uh, a sunk cost of much much higher than two hundred thousand dollars but no, a million yuan chinese yuan i hope they don't have to deliver it to the seller no well you just press a button it oh, becomes a car a and they drive it there 
Uh, they are shaped like transformers, but I don't think they fold down into a car. <laughs> and one of them, it looks like it's on uh, some very big uh, uh, sort of metal base to yes. uh, prevent it toppling. Mm. They, don't see, they certainly didn't spend the money on their house because uh, looking <laughs> in the background of the image... <laughs> There's a fairly dodgy-looking shed there without doors. Uh, looking a little tired, isn't it? It is. I suggest yeah. they maybe their wife and mother might be interested in them spending a little more time um, <laughs> applying their ingenuity to getting the house a bit cleaner and neater. $200,000, that's still probably many years of uh, normal earnings. Mm, that's probably right. Mm. So, but then again, you only find that out after you've gone to all the effort. You've got to justify it to your spouse and other extended family for a lot longer time. Brian, so she'd be shaking her head, wondering, you know, look, this is only going to encourage them to build more. Yes. As I say, these China, I've never seen them develop a, a new sort of tractor or, pl- <laughs> or right. ploughing infl- implement. Practical. <laughs> practical and achievable. Yeah. <laughs> Their next-door neighbours probably in the midst of, I don't know, building a spaceship out of scrap car parts. Yes. <laughs> or scrap tractor parts. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, dear. Would you like to do the next story as well, Brian? Certainly, David. Um, the uh, West Midlands has decided they're doing their bit against crime by issuing a blanket ban on criminals using public transport. Uh, new plans are unveiled by the police and crime commissioner there, which followed the lead of uh, London, which used banning orders for repeat offenders on buses, trams and trains. Now, the Transport Authority Centro would be able to ban criminals from its entire network. Now, I suspect this is not aimed at preventing criminals using public transport in the conduct of their crime, mm. but... Um, I think it's a way of uh, reducing antisocial behaviour on the network. So if you've been booked for something or, uh, you know, you've done time for vandalism and things like that, then um, you may be uh, unable to use the public transport system. If we ban criminals using public transport, who will be left? <laughs> well, how do you recognise them? I, I, I suppose it's obvious the, it's the house <laughs> thief, is wearing a, the thief is wearing a striped shirt. Carrying a bag with a swag written on it. Yeah, on the and, and got those little things over his eyes. <laughs> All right, Brian, lovely to talk to you. Thank you again for your time. I appreciate it greatly. You're very welcome, David. And that's Brian Smith. And we were talking some quirky news about motoring and transport. <laughs>